Hey, all welcome to the Common Good Podcast. Uh, super glad to have you uh, with us today. It's uh, Wednesday, February tw- or January 24th. Liz, I've had my mind in February. I've been inside of a spreadsheet typing in uh, dates in February and March. So pardon me for at least you're that. ahead and not behind. <laughs> That's right. At least I didn't say it was 2023. Right. I did for a couple of days. Uh, but this is the Common Good Podcast, and it's a Wednesday. Uh, you probably know that if you keep track of your February or your January 24th. Um, <laughs> And uh, on Wednesdays, we like to talk about faith, and uh, so excited to talk with Liz today. Liz Coolidge Jenkins, writer and author of a book called, um, with a, just the greatest little title, uh, Nice Churchy Patriarchy, uh, Reclaiming That's right. a Women's Humanity from Evangelicalism. So a, a fun little title, and then a uh, hit-you-in-the-gut kind of uh, subtitle. So excellent. So Liz, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Hey, and now you, uh, you, you live in Seattle. I live in Minneapolis right. and, um, two towns that people think they have a lot in common. And sometimes we have weather in common actually. Mm. And, uh, so we, we start our podcast very often by chatting with people about how the weather is where they are, because we can't always agree on things, but we do remember that we live under the same sky. So Minneapolis like currently 32, uh, cloud covered, drizzly, freezing rain, going to be, going to be 36 degrees today. Uh, how are things looking there? And well, Seattle? that sounds all sorts of delightful. Um, it's a little bit warmer here. I think it's probably in the 40s or going to be. And it's been pretty nice the last couple of days, but we had a ton of rain before that. So that was a little bit more typical. And before that, we had a huge freeze, which was not at all typical. So, yeah. Uh, was Did you have one of those big cold snaps like the rest of the country where people screaming at the sky and begging for to warm up? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, it got into the teens, which is very unusual for us. It's usually pretty mild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I'm I'm glad to have you on today, and thanks for reaching out and letting me know about your book. And uh, a special thanks uh, to Bing, who's already here in the chat. Uh, I did message him to know. Uh, sometimes people wonder how do you get on the Common Good podcast. You know, for people, it's a bit of a life goal. It's not. Uh, well, most often you just send a note and say, hey, I'm doing something interesting or we stumble on to what you, people are up to. And so I'm so glad that you um, that you reached out. Uh, let's before we talk about your your, your book in in more full detail, Nice Churchy Patriarchy. Um, talk about what what you do and what got you into. Well, first of all, writing. Why? Why are you a writer and why are you a writer about what's going on in churches and and all that? So give us give us your your background. Yeah, so um, my background involves working in college ministry for kind of a conservative evangelical church in the Bay Area. Um, And at some point when I had been doing that for a little bit and was enjoying it, I realized that I had really no education or training for it whatsoever. So I applied for seminary um, and I ended up doing an MDiv degree and kind of not feeling like college ministry was maybe where I wanted or needed to be long term. But then having all of these things that I learned in seminary that I found totally mind blowing and wanted to share. Um, please excuse my cat if oh, you're watching. We, we accept watching animals the on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Athena. <laughs> Nothing and, says YouTube hmm. like a cat. Uh, into a video. So it's perfect for those on our YouTube channel. Uh, perfect. All right. Um, and so once I, I think the most, most of the time while I was in seminary, I kind of assumed that I would probably apply for PhD programs after mm-hmm. because I was just loving everything that I was learning and wanted to continue. Um, but by the, by the time I graduated, I think I, 
um, started to feel a little bit more like I wanted to go in a direction of writing things for kind of a broader general audience. Because sometimes you get into this academic theology world and it can be a little bit hard to break out of kind of writing things that can only be interesting or accessible to this very small subset of people. So when I graduated, I really wanted to see what I could write that would be meaningful to people more broadly. Um, and I found myself unpacking and trying to understand a ton of experiences I'd had as a young woman in church um, and wanting to do that with others. So that's that's kind of how this writing thing and how the book came about. Did you get into college ministry because college ministry was meaningful to you at a point in your life? Like, did you sort of transition from being a college student and having a positive experience to then thinking, hey, I want to be one of the leaders that does that kind of work? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I generally had a positive experience in a parachurch college ministry as a student. Um, and I think there was a time a couple years after I graduated when I kind of did a lot of soul searching about what do I actually want to be doing with my life and sure. career. And I feel like a lot of the things that I was really passionate about lined up with ministry of some sort and college ministry was what I was familiar with and felt like something to try. One of my, my favorite uh, conversation points with authors is um, to take ask them if they had run into their book at some previous point in their life how they would have responded to it. Um, because I've wondered that about mm -hmm. books that I've written, and some of them I'm like, oh, I would have loved it because that's a book <laughs> I was wanting to read you know, when I was 20 years yeah. past. And other times I've thought, I don't know, I think if I saw that title or that topic of a book that I wrote, I'd be like, what's that guy talking about? Like there would have been a point in my life where I would have thought, I don't even know what they're, what they're up to. So when you were in college ministry, or I don't know, maybe a college student or even, you know, in, in involved in a church, you know, as a teenager and so on, if you had seen a book with the title, uh, nice churchy patriarchy, how would that, how would that have landed for you? Did you know those words? Did you wonder about those ideas at the time? Like how, how would that have landed for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I think as a teen or college student, I would have been like, what? <laughs> like, um, I mean, I, I grew up in a church that had female pastors and female elders, and nobody really felt the need to debate about that. So I don't think that I would have had really a grasp of like, oh, like there's still churches that don't have those things. Right. Um, yeah, but I think as a young adult, like into my 20s, I might have seen this book and and thought, yeah, yeah, I think I need to read that. Um, and so I think it's been a bit of a journey to kind of resonate with some of those words and um, to understand this idea of patriarchy and unpack that. And yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the word patriarch is an interesting one when you're in the church kind of world, because sometimes the characters in the in the text, the Jewish text that becomes a Christian text, are referred to as the patriarchs in kind of a positive way, right? right. <laughs> like it wasn't right. it wasn't talked about as a negative mm -hmm. force, mm -hmm. um, and that surprised me. You know, when I, w once I realized that patriarchy was a thing that was still functioning inside of our society, inside of our communities of faith, like why did we always talk about that as if it was just sort of a, an old thing and kind of a positive thing? Um, what, what, what's been your own trajectory with patriarchy? And part of the reason I ask is because I know a lot of people who, when that word comes up, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> like they, they, they understand like if places where women can't do things, you know, like get mm. elected president or, you know, can't serve at a church or something, they know that. But this whole category, as if that's a thing that some people know, 
and some people don't know. Um, uh, what, d- d- talk a bit about that word, and did you wonder about using it in the title and in the book and so on? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we've got the patriarchs in the Hebrew scriptures. We've got the early church fathers that we might often talk about in kind of the early times of Christian history. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think there are also matriarchs in the sense of mm-hmm. of women in the Bible and, and church mothers in terms of sure, women in church sure. history um, whose stories have often been downplayed or ignored and need to be reclaimed. Um, but yeah, the word the word patriarchy. Um, I mean, you mentioned countries where women can't be elected president, and one wonders. I mean, can a woman be elected president in the U.S.? It hasn't happened yet, even though the rules technically allow it. Um, and you have you know Christian denominations where women are not prohibited from being pastors, and yet less than fifty percent. You know, whether it's twenty percent or two percent of pastors are women. So there's a lot going on there often um, that that serves as barriers to women uh, using their gifts and leading in different ways that they might feel called to. Um, and I think, I mean, I think patriarchy as a general concept has to do with how power is distributed and whether that's even across genders. And so um, I think there are a lot of different forms that that takes, whether or not um, there are female leaders, there can still yeah. be ways that we have a lot of internalized kind of biases and sexism and how all that plays out. So, I mean, there's other similar words like sexism, um, which is kind of about discrimination or like misogyny, which is about hatred of women. Um, and I think I like the word I mean, I use all of those and I think they're all very real, but I like the word patriarchy for the title because I think it helps get at those power structures and how we might better share power together across genders. One of the write-ups describing the book, uh, I'm going to read it because I think it just, it's really provocative and says it well. It says, even in the warmest and most welcoming evangelical churches, patriarchy looms as the ever-present force, suppressing women's possibilities and debilitating whole communities. Well-intentioned churchgoers and church leaders have bought deeply entrenched male-dominated mindsets, power structures, and theologies that are not working for women and really are not working for anyone. Um, There are some people who, uh, they don't know that that's what's been going on. Were, were, Were you similar to that? Like you could see things but couldn't really figure out quite what it was, because there's also in many of these communities such warmth and such, you know, kinds of inclusion and and such other things that people really love about these communities. And when somebody really loves something, it's hard to hard to be honest sometimes about the about the struggles in it was. Is that an experience you you had? And do you, do you see that in others when they've come across your book? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I think that um, I reflect in the book on how I feel like I've been some combination of lucky and wise, but mostly lucky to avoid kind of the worst sorts sorts of patriarchal church communities, because um, there are some highly publicized ones and some very clearly to most people egregious ones. Um, but I mean, the churches I've been a part of have been, like you've said, uh, warm, welcoming, um, good communities in a lot of ways. Uh, communities where I met a lot of wonderful people. 
and where people often uh, usually offer, uh, operate with good intentions. And so that can make it really hard to see, let alone point out the ways that patriarchy operates there and that it's not okay. So I think it was really a journey for me over many years um, to move from kind of feeling like, well, the church has these policies that I don't love. Sometimes people say these things that I don't love, but we can kind of agree to disagree. And it took me a bit of a journey to learn to take those things seriously. And then after that, to learn to mm -hmm. speak up about them. Well, that, tell me about that journey. How, how did that go? Do you remember the first time when you were like, oh, I'm going to... I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something uh, is, is is that a moment is that a season of time that you recognize okay it's time for me to speak up about the things I've awakened to yeah um, I mean I think that just happened very slowly um, I think there were a lot of times and a lot of moments even that I talk about in the book where um, people kind of said things or things happened that really only many years later after reflecting on it, was I able to articulate like why that wasn't okay, maybe what was going on there and what I might have said if I could go back to my 20 something self. So I think that learning to speak up about it has come after many years of reflection. Um, yeah. When you first said something about it, did it go over well? Was it well received? And you were like, all right, Hey, this is a thing that, uh, I like talking about and people want me to talk about. It, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it's well received through writing in the sense that uh, women and others who resonate with these things are like, yeah, we need to be talking about it. Like mm -hmm. uh, a lot of women can relate, I think, to a lot of the stories I tell. And I think it's always just helpful to see things through someone else's eyes and be affirmed that we're not the only one who's yeah. seen some issues and having some difficulties. Because um, I think a lot of times when women do try to bring things up, um, they're often told either directly or indirectly, like you're the only one who thinks that, like this is kind of a problem with you as opposed to with the system or our policies. Um, yeah, so I think it's I think it's well received in writing. I think in the moment, I think it's hard. I think it takes a very mature uh, person to kind of receive feedback in the moment. And I think that's a hard thing to sort out. The, the, the subtitle, uh, Reclaiming Women's Humanity from Evangelicalism is, uh, a broad statement and and a good one and an accurate one and there are some evangelical traditions where women are highly uh, encouraged into ministry hmm. um, some of the charismatic pentecostal traditions have uh, a long history of being founded by women and hmm. and women preachers and and yeah. other parts of even what is considered the the broad you know i don't know ecosystem of evangelicalism like the southern baptist and fundamentalist baptists uh, and other fundamentalist sects, women are forbidden, you know, from any level of leadership uh, right. over over men, or sometimes from even speaking at, at places. And and then there's uh, you know lots of versions of all that. Um, yeah. How do you how do you help people kind of navigate thinking about that? Because a lot of us tend to take our own experience and normalize it, and just assume that. You know, if you identify in the category of evangelical, then what you experienced is what evangelicals do. Sure. Um, can you just talk a bit about all that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's been helpful for me that I feel like I've experienced a bit of the variety of and a bit of the kind of spectrum of what evangelical communities can be. Definitely not the full spectrum. There's lots of communities that I that are a little bit more foreign to me, but mm -hmm. 
um, I, I write in the book both about the pretty conservative kind of, well, they call themselves soft complementarian evangelical church that I was a part of for 11 years. And then I also write a bit about the egalitarian evangelical seminary that I attended and the church that I went to while I was in seminary. Um, so those are both spaces where uh, women are welcomed into ministry, and yet things are not necessarily equal. There's still a lot of work to do to reach full gender equality, whether that's in terms of uh, how women's voices and perspectives are heard and believed or not, um, or whether that's in terms of how many female professors you might have if you go to an egalitarian evangelical seminary. Um, and and I, I write a bit about some of the kind of casual comments that some of my well-intentioned egalitarian male professors would say that made seminary a difficult place for me as a woman, even mm -hmm. though they never would have intended that. Um, so I think does there's there's to, a lot. Does something yeah. come to mind when you when you're remembering back to that that you're comfortable sharing? Like what kinds of things would you hear as a fellow seminarian that would make you? Yeah, think? yeah. Uh, well, one of the stories I tell in the book is um, about a professor who was telling us a story um, about his parents' church that they had pastored when he was growing up. And he was telling us this kind of conversion story of this man in their community who was kind of a well-known, like, I don't remember exactly if he was kind of a drug dealer, just kind of a well-known, like, unsavory individual. Um, but he went to my professor's parents' church and converted to evangelicalism and got super into it. And the story was about how his life was totally changed and he was no longer doing all these bad things that he had been doing and everybody saw that and it was amazing. And then the professor made this comment like, well, he never really quite figured out how to treat women. But, you know, other than that, <laughs> his life was totally changed. And everyone <laughs> kind of laughed at that, right? And it was thrown yeah. in there for humor. Um, but I was kind of like, oh, like, what message are we supposed to take away from that about how it matters how men treat women and all of the male seminary students in that class? Like, what message are they supposed to take away? And um, uh, yeah, what kind so of value insightful. that we have? Yeah, right. Because if, if he had said, well, you know, I never quite figured out how to make money other than selling drugs. But other than right. that, <laughs> right. that, that wouldn't have counted as the part of the full conversion. But if you still treat right. women in a dangerous and and unequal way. Well, that's okay. That's right. it's like that, not a big that's deal. Something you can work on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. wow. See, even it's when not you told that, I, I don't know that I would have picked that up right away either. If I'd heard that story, you know, I would have thought, Oh yeah, that's, that's something that people work on. And that that's, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so things like that yeah. happen all the time and it's not intentional and yeah, but it's worth thinking about for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, this book, you, you, you told me in, in email, uh, got a lot of attention and, and it's doing well in the area of, you know, the way, the way Amazon divides up, you know, the categories, <laughs> which is just hilarious. You know, I have a friend that was like the number one uh, poet in some subclass of a subclass of a subclass, but he has a screenshot of which he's the number one selling poet. In, it's very specific, know, yeah. In three, in three <laughs> um, but your book did well in the area of... Uh, was it women's spirituality or women's? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which also is interesting, right? That even Amazon's going to be like, let's make a difference between women's spirituality and non-women's spirituality. Right. And but if anyway. you look at some of the bestsellers, there's like some C.S. Lewis, some Tim Keller. Um, yeah. Like they're often not even written by women or specifically for women. But yeah. 
And how do they know that it's for women? I, I don't know. Maybe yep. Amazon just knows a lot more about who's clicking and buying and downloading and so on. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe. And they can, ca they can categorize that. What do you think it is that when people see the title, because, you know, you can't judge a book. You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. But, but you do. That's what we do with books. Yeah, yeah it's why right. there's covers. <laughs> cover designs are like, we'll put yours up there now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you probably spent a lot of time thinking about the cover and the title and all mm -hmm. that because we really do judge books by its cover. Do you have a sense of why people are coming toward this, uh, the, this idea? And what do you think that says now, not only about churches, but about sort of the larger cultural world and, and maybe even political world that we're in? Yeah, um, I mean, I think we're still in kind of a larger, larger cultural moment where a lot of people are leaving evangelicalism or rethinking their relationship with evangelicalism, as well as just kind of thinking about what does that word even mean? And do I resonate with it? Um, so I think this idea of kind of reclaiming things um, from evangelicalism, like reclaiming parts of ourselves that we feel like maybe our relationship with evangelicalism didn't affirm, I think that's really powerful. Um, and then I think with a nice churchy patriarchy title, um, I think, you know, we've seen a lot of documentaries come out about kind of abusive, more openly abusive churches. Um, and I think that like the nice side of it, I think can sometimes go like fly a little bit under the radar. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, hopefully people resonate with that sense of like, how do we tease out the things that aren't okay even in these communities where nothing really like salaciously bad is happening, like nothing really like illegal is happening. Um, but there's still like these power structures that, that need to be changed. So, yeah. yeah. I, I was talking with a pastor yeah, just yesterday, in fact, and he's on staff at a, at a church. And I said, Hey, how, how are things going? He said, Oh, the last three years have been really, really tough. Uh, one former senior pastor left, a new person came in uh, as an executive. It was terrible, mm -hmm. um, really bad. He said, very abusive to the staff and really controlling in a very bad environment. And, our, and the church fired him and then hired another person. And then and he said, and now that person went to work at and he named this other church. And I said, oh, did you ever say anything to the other church about it? He mm -hmm. goes, well, actually, I said some, something to some of the people at that church that this person was abusive to a lot of us wow. on staff and we fired him. And then the senior pastor from the church that person went to called me and said, you have to stop being a gossip. Oh no. And so this guy was like, I, I don't know what, you know, I don't know. And I was like, Hey, just good for you. Like we have too many no talk rules and too many, you know, mm -hmm. competing, mm -hmm. competing forces. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on why churches, especially, I don't I'll just say churches why churches tolerate so much bad behavior and abusive behavior from leaders and then allow them to get passed on so they don't so they're not called a gossip or something like right. I don't know like on the range of things and maybe I shouldn't make a range but uh, I think when you're telling the truth about why someone's fired and you think someone is dangerous to the spiritual and emotional health of other people you should probably say something about that right you know, word if you're called a gossip do you have any thoughts about why that just continues to go on and on and on that abusive behavior is is considered acceptable yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Like, we've got to talk about these things. And there's a lot of forces trying to get us not to talk honestly about these things. Um, 
And I think sometimes, uh, I mean, I, I guess I felt like in my more evangelical days, sometimes I needed to like represent the church well, because that means representing Christianity well. And if we want to convert people to Christianity, we need to like give a good impression of what it's like. So I think I've really kind of done a 180 on that. <laughs> and I feel like rather than being called to bear witness in the sense of like, how awesome our churches are so that others will join them. I think we're called to bear witness in terms of speaking honestly of what we know and what we've seen, the good parts and the bad parts, um, and not worry about kind of the reputation of a church or community, um, because that is much less important than the reality of it, right? Um, we want to make the reality one that is good, not pretend that everything's okay um, if it's not. Yeah. Mm. In that description that, that that I read earlier about what's in the book, saying that look, a lot of people have bought into these patriarchal ideas, including women. Do, do you feel like you have a particular voice, or there needs to be some particular messaging to women who hold patriarchal views? Because I, I've I've experienced that too. I mean, some of the most fierce sort of people arguing for male leadership in churches that I've been involved in conversations have come from women that are in those, in those churches, in those communities and there. And, and so there kind of becomes a thing that feel where it's easy to think, Hey, women are going to be opposed to this kind of stuff and men are going to be for it. And it's not always that way. And do you think there's any special messaging for women versus special messaging for men or for young people who identify as male or female in those particular categories? Yeah, that's a good question. I agree with you that it's uh, often it's often women who defend these systems. Um, I do think that probably the majority of women do not defend these systems, um, but there are some vocal ones and some powerful ones who do. Um, and I mean, I respect different women's rights to have their own opinions. Um, at the same time, I think um, I think. Uh, sometimes the women who these patriarchal systems, like it feels like it's working for them. I think sometimes maybe it's helpful for them to know that it's not working for others um, and to kind of hopefully develop some empathy and compassion for the women who it's not working for, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of us. <laughs> And it's really not working for anyone, right? But it can seem to be working for women who kind of fit a particular mold or have particular interests or gifts or have no interest in pastoral yeah. leadership or anything like that. Women who don't kind of rub patriarchal systems the wrong way. Um, and, you know, that, yeah, I think it's just, it's good to recognize that there are many of us uh, who do rub patriarchal systems the wrong way. And how do we make room for all sorts of women and all sorts of different women's gifts? the person who goes on YouTube by the handle, the squirrely prepper lifestyle also knows Penny uh, wrote um, uh, as a woman who was raised in the church, Bible reading disturbed me as a young girl defined the authority of a male dominated religion. Um, mm. th that is clearly there. And also <laughs> I think there's a way to read special, especially the new Testament in terms of, oh, this is really trying to change the narrative around women, you know, um, kick into some different topics around all that and how, how the church hasn't always advocated for that. In the work that you've been doing and when people engage your book, where does the, the, the scripture text fit in for you in, in how you've 
arrange this? Because I know a lot of people have just had to say, I just have to be done with the Bible because I can't see it in any way that's not just heaps of trouble. Um, mm. and, and other people find a very uh, freeing narrative there and a change narrative. How, how, mm. how, how do you find yourself with it? Yeah, I mean, I think so personally, I grew up in a church that was not uh, kind of a conservative evangelical church, and I grew up reading the Bible. And so I feel like, I think for me, my first experiences of reading the Bible were good, right? Were, I don't know if I want to say liberating, because I don't know if I had any consciousness of what I needed to be liberated from or for. Um, but it was the way that I got to know God and a God of love. And those were the first things that I saw. So I think I've had a little bit of a different journey with the Bible than people who have grown up in very conservative spaces where they're always saying the Bible says women can't do this or this. Um, so I think because I wandered into those spaces as a young adult, um, it's been a different kind of journey and um, more one of like, okay, like what do these passage passages really say? Because I don't think that they're trying to say these things that people are saying that they say. Um, so yeah, in the book, I get into a little bit of, of some of those passages. It's not meant to be like a thorough biblical exegesis, but I do get into one of, some of the ones that I think women often mm -hmm. hear um, and are impacted by. And I think in some cases, there's a lot of nuance to those texts and how we read them. Um, and in some cases, you just kind of have to weigh things together and take the whole the whole of scripture together in terms of like, yeah, Paul says these limiting things in one chapter, but the next chapter, he's like, yeah, women are speaking in our meetings. So you have to kind of, yeah, yeah. weigh that. And yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, there's just so much in there, right, about how we engage with the text of the Bible yeah. and passages we pick and which ones we like to emphasize and right. um, and, and and why and, and so so the Bible is a is a complex interpretive act you know when, it, when yeah. anytime somebody reads it whether it's taking views you and I might hold about these issues or people who hold the other side of the views about these issues it, evangelicals represent a significant number of people in the United States um, you were talking you know 70 million, 80 million, something like that. It's a lot out of 330 yeah. million and have a disproportionate amount of influence in government, partially because of where they're clustered and the way we divide up our governments, uh, especially at the federal level where every state mm -hmm. gets two senators. Um, so you have a, no matter how many people live there. So it's not proportional. Right. And then, um, Similarly, now with with Congress, it's not proportional to the number of people per se. It's it has a cap cap to it. So you you can have a situation where you have political leaders and political influence that's slanted, giving more power to certain groups if they choose to organize and engage. And evangelicals mm -hmm. have chosen to organize and engage in the last oh, few yes. years in some pretty powerful ways, and have ended up setting the direction of the country on a lot of issues that rather disturbing to to many of us so when someone pivots into what i'm going to do right now into a conversation about the cultural and political spaces and the influence of evangelicalism and particularly a patriarchal view and a strongman view of patriarchy uh, which uh, you can say something about if you want or i'll tell you more about what i'm getting at here um th that's why because there's something going on and it's mind blowing to a lot of people why someone like Donald Trump would be attractive to 50 or 60, 70 percent of evangelicals, self-identified evangelicals in this country. They can't figure it out. 
they say things like he's nothing like them, but they're missing something important. Uh, and so anyway, I, I won't tell you what I think they're missing when they say things like that, but what do you, how, how do you attribute any of this? Or do you think about the attribution of any of these ideas that you write about in, in uh, nice churchy patriarchy to the larger cultural and political system? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I write a little bit in the book about kind of my personal experience of the 2016 election, and I was still attending uh, the evangelical conservative church I was a part of at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, up until that election, I had a lot of naivety about where people at my church were at pol politically. I think I assumed that there was a lot more agreement. Um, yeah. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so when the 2016 election happened, um, I, I was pretty shocked to see how many white evangelicals in general voted for Trump and then to realize that there were people in my church community who voted for him. Um, so I think I definitely went on that journey of like, wait, how did we get here? How did how was I so wrong about what people thought? Um, what yeah, what am I missing? Like you said, um, because I definitely feel like, you know, this person does not represent anything that Christianity means to me. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, one of the things that's been helpful for me that I would offer is just the book Jesus and John Wayne mm -hmm. by Kristen Dumay, um, which is just this really detailed and fascinating historical account of the last hundred years or so in terms of what evangelicalism is and has become and how that relates to politics. And she really does a deep dive into um, like how evangelicalism has tied itself so closely to patriarchy, um, to a particular image of manhood and what manliness means or looks like, um, and how all these things are really toxic and and yet have kind of come together in a particular person um, that people were attracted to vote for because it's in a long line of kind of things like that, even though many of us like me didn't see it. Yeah. There's a real movement inside of some versions of evangelicalism that say that the problem is that churches have become too soft, they've become too... Uh, not just in with the culture, but kind of too, you know, uh, non-masculine. I, I mean, I hardly want to even say the words that people say about this stuff, but they say it all the time. You hear it quite mm -hmm. often. And that, you know, in Kristen Dumay's book, Jesus and John Wayne, she borrows that title from this a song, which is basically about Jesus is a little bit like Jesus, which is like his mom, and also a little bit like John Wayne, which is tough and mean and 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 strong and and all this kind of stuff. And so there's this real wondering, you know, in evangelical churches. From I don't know, yesterday, we had a conversation with someone who wrote about contemporary Christian music in the '70s and '80s and '90s. Mm. And she mentioned Carmen, and you know, I, I remember seeing this video. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it was a music video called "The Champion" from this person named Carmen, who's a musician. It was Jesus in a boxing ring. And so that kind of imagery of Jesus in a boxing ring, boxing against uh, or the devil or whatever, mm. um, th this kind of idea of a warrior and wanting mm -hmm. there to be a warrior. I hear evangelicals say about Donald Trump, like, hey, it's we, we've been pushed around too long, uh, you know, uh, in this world. And it's time for us to fight back a little bit. Or Lauren Boebert, the congresswoman from Colorado, saying had Jesus had an AR-15, he wouldn't have been crucified. Like this, this kind of stuff, right, that's just like 
what now? <laughs> like, um, uh, I mean, I, I think peace and, and, and nonviolence is the strong way forward. So like I have a whole different orientation that actually comes from the life and teachings of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, do you, th I'm, I'm going to do a, you know, a, a cart before the horse, chicken and egg thing for you. Like what part of it do you think is like people want churches to be strong so they kind of lean into patriarchy? And what part of it do you think is they just think the order of things was like God, men, women. And so men have a testosterone problem and so therefore let's bless it and baptize it as an okay thing do, do, you, have a, do you have thoughts on any of that oh yeah or, or maybe um, you think about it totally differently and feel free to say like oh, I don't even have those oh man yeah i mean the god men women thing that's i feel like something that has been promoted very aggressively by a very small set of people and then adopted by a huge mass of people who i feel like have been manipulated to think about things a certain way that isn't particularly scriptural or mm -hmm. faithful to um, what i think christianity is or could be um yeah, and I think I think all of this has to do with um, even just how we think about and define masculinity and femininity. Um, and I think um, I was kind of teaching a class at my church recently where we got to think through these things together, and we kind of made a, a list of all the different characteristics or things that are kind of culturally associated with masculinity, and then did the same for femininity. Um, and I think it was really helpful to just see that mm -hmm. written out, um, whether that's like for masculinity, like violence or dominance or control, or like positive things like leadership um, that still shouldn't be particularly gendered, <laughs> but are not negative. So I think seeing all that and recognizing that like, this is not a healthy way for a human to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is not a healthy way for a man or woman or person of any gender to be and same with femininity um so i think it was helpful to recognize that we have aspects of both of those things or at least the positive parts of them within yeah. each of us um and to kind of tease out like yeah like what is this kind of cultural thing and how is that harming everybody and and like you said what does it look like to actually be strong for people of all genders um because the way of nonviolence, like you said is not an easy one right. um but i think it's the way that we're called to if we're following jesus um, my, my wife is a yoga instructor and instructor of cool. yoga instructors so she runs a yoga teacher training program so they do a lot of really deep yogic training and philosophy cool. and it's curious to see the development of yoga following similar patterns to situations in the United States. Like a lot of us think about yoga in the American context um, as a activity that women participate in. Mm. Um, uh, but traditionally yoga has been a male dominated situation and um, all the yogis were men and they were actually very <laughs> patriarchal in a lot of yogic systems. And, and one of the features also inside of yoga is the conversation about energy, like you were talking about, mm -hmm. and male energy and female energy. And it's talked about in how we embody all of these and we should access, we should access all of these. And sometimes mm -hmm. the yogic world has gotten it really wrong and sometimes it tips, you know, I don't know, it becomes sort of one, one thing or the other. And that's the binaries that get us into trouble a lot because human beings just talk about male, female stuff energies or leaderships or abilities or mm. capacity or whatever. Um, and and it, it gets off, it gets off kilter a lot. 
Um, and some people end up now looking at how pe- people talk about um, gender. And so even when my wife is talking about this stuff in, in teaching, she's mentioned to me that like some of the non-binary people in her training program are like, I'm not even comfortable talking about male, female energy like this, sure. right? Like yeah. they're, they don't, that's not a thing they want to do. Mm. All right. So that's a lot, but how, are you thinking about any of that in our current situation now where it's not just egalitarian, the movement for a lot of people is to try to become post gender in some way, or see if we can get outside the boundaries that language seems to produce for us when it comes to gender and the rest. Yeah, I mean, I think non-binary and other queer or gender fluid or just people with different complexities in their gender identity have a lot to teach all of us about all of this. Um, And it's, yeah, it's so complex. And I feel like we're just kind of starting as a culture Mm -hmm. to acknowledge some of that. Um, So I'm always trying to see what I can learn from queer folks um, and how people challenge my sense of what gender is or what it could be. Um, Mm -hmm. Another thing, this is going back a little bit, but um, I was kind of thinking about what you said earlier about churches being criticized for being too soft. Um, And I think that's a deeply misogynistic criticism Um, because yeah, we associate things like softness with femininity and then we devalue femininity and devalue women. Um, but there are qualities like softness and gentleness, um, and kind of peacemaking and kind of community oriented thinking. There are qualities that, um, have been associated with women and kind of devalued, but like we all really need, like we're really suffering as a society for not having this orientation toward toward harmony and gentleness and the ways that we interact with each other. Um, mm-hmm. So that's another thought from earlier. Yeah, yeah. right. Th- th- there was a study that I s- heard heard about or heard someone who did the study. Sometimes it gets a little confused, or maybe I made it up. So you know, it could be any combination of these. But it was, um, I think, neuro pattern testing or blood level tests of people in meetings when there were only men in the room only, and then a mixed genders, and then only women. And what happens mm. to people's bodies, even when the, in the mixed gender thing, if, a, if women were in the group, even if they didn't say anything, just the presence changed blood levels and testosterone levels and, and neuro patterns and so on. And Interesting. so it was, a, it, it was a big thing about how, why leadership and boardrooms and this is business kind of stuff mm. was saying, look, when testosterone, when men are in a group just with men, testosterone levels go up. And when testosterone mm-hmm. levels are, are rising, people make decisions that tend to have a certain characteristic to them, more risk taking, yeah. more, more binary. When testosterone levels are down or estrogen levels are up, different kinds of decisions are made. And having women just in the room changes the, changes the thing, right? Like there's something kind of going going on. And, and I feel like churches or communities of faith or whatever have intuited that stuff for a long time, you know? And that's partly why we don't have women in leadership levels or we don't have women in this, in this role. Like we've built a spirituality around a certain set of capacities and decision-making styles mm-hmm. and ways. Um, so this patriarchy, it, I don't know, I guess what I'm thinking about is 
maybe there's something biological going on that we sort of get addicted to, not just what are we comfortable with, you know, in sort of a social psychological way. So I know that yeah. that, might, that might all be new information to you and you might not yet have an opinion about it, but uh, any thoughts? Yeah. On that? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely interesting. I feel like there are a lot of studies that show that uh, mixed gender groups of people just make better decisions. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a lot of reasons for why that happens, mm -hmm. um, including, I mean, I feel like the perspective I take in the book is more along the lines of homogenous groups of people never make the best decisions. Like you need different perspectives and different viewpoints. And um, not just in terms of gender, but also in terms of race and economic class and all the different experiences that people have. So, yeah, I think Christianity has a long history and also present day reality of groups of uh, very similar men uh, thinking that they're the ones who get to make all the decisions mm -hmm. and that that has not served us well. Um, that's kind of gotten us into a lot of the messes that we're in and we need different kinds of leadership to help get us out. I, I, I've been in spaces this in the last 10 years where I've been like, I think maybe even posted something on social media that was like, let's just let women be in charge of everything for a while and see, well. you know, see, see how that goes. Right. Like, <laughs> right. All right. Let's. And then, you know, in politics, I see the, you know, there's a string of governors in charge. There's a string of Congress people that are women. And I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're not doing the gun toting and the pseudo right. violence, like it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. So I've felt myself in kind of a, like, yeah, we've had a bunch of men running stuff and it's a nightmare. So let's let women run it and that's going to be better. And I see Wakanda movies and stuff and think like, you know, it's, you know, um, do, any advice for people like me that, that, that think stuff like that? <laughs> um, uh, like, is that, is that the answer? Is that what you think mm. uh, where we could go? Like, what, what, what do we do about all this? Yeah, I think that's a good question because you're right. It's not just about the gender of who is in power. Um, it's also about the ways that power is used and whether it's used, well, for the common good, right? Um, or for other purposes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think about like matriarchal societies. And I do think that like kind of traditionally matriarchal societies are often um, like power often operates differently there, not necessarily just because you've got a woman in charge. Um, but what you often see is that power is more shared, um, that power is used more for the common good, uh, that there's more of a sense of community orientedness and mutuality. Um, so I, I do think that there are alternatives to a patriarchal society um, where things work really differently. But I think you're right that it takes more than just women in a couple places of power. Mm -hmm. um, and it matters, you know, like where women come from too, right? And if they've been raised in very patriarchal um, systems and if they've been raised to believe things like violence is the answer and dominance is the answer um, and dominance for our one subgroup of people is the answer, um, then, you know, we might perpetuate those things. And so I think yeah. we need kind of a whole like different way of teaching people how to be in the world. Yeah. Is that something that the, that the book helps people with if, if this is the conversation that they're in or they want to be in? I hope is so. The book, yeah. Is the, book, <laughs> is the book structured, structured in that mm. way? Like, Hey, here's a pathway forward or is it structured as here's a way to see and understand and now we need to find our ways mm. 
It, it's both. Um, I'd say the first half is more focused on understanding some of the issues, understanding some of the ways patriarchy works in faith communities in particular, and why that's a problem. And then the second half is more focused on where might we go from here um, if we're trying to build faith communities where things work differently. So yeah. it's not necessarily like, how do we fix the US? <laughs> but all of it's interconnected, right? And how do we build different kinds of church communities where people are being formed to think about things differently? I think that impacts mm. voting and everything. What, um, what are the suggestions for churches and how they can proceed differently? Yeah, um, and there are a lot of different things that it gets into. Some of it is kind of uh, understanding church history in a different way and understanding that there's been this long 2000 year push and pull between kind of different views um, on how power should work and what women should or shouldn't be doing in leadership. It's not like uh, the feminist movement is a new thing of the last few generations. Um, there's always been women who are leading in different capacities and using their gifts or fighting to do so. Um, so I think understanding history and some of those stories is really powerful just for women to know, like, we're not alone. We're not trailblazing. Um, there's this long kind of all these foremothers that we can look back to for inspiration. Um, so there's that. There's thinking about scripture in different ways. Um, there's kind of paying attention to who is at the pulpit and how they're reading scripture. And are we seeing the women in scripture? Are we seeing women in scripture as fully human, as subjects and not just objects? Um, and then there's kind of all the ways that we talk about and imagine God in church. And is that coming across as masculine? Even if we might not say, I think God is an old white man in the sky, all of our language and songs might kind of point in that direction. So how do we expand the ways that we talk about God? So those are some of the things involved. If, if someone's super new to this, or someone has a friend or family member, and they want to get into this kind of conversation, do you, how do you suggest people do it? Like if they're, um, if they haven't sort of started with a set of conclusions, you know, of where we sort of are in this conversation. Um, but I don't know, they're closer to where you were. 15 years ago or some of the people in churches that you've known. Yeah. Do you have any advice of, you know, Hey, this is super helpful. And I suggest not doing, <laughs> not doing this and such, or it, 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 does the book have, or do you personally have any sort of help for people? Because, you know, I guess like ordering this book and just having it sent to your mother-in-law might not be the best, uh, you know, like, hey, hey, got something coming from Amazon for you. I just want you to take a look. <laughs> nice churchy patriarchy, a little book we could talk about. Uh, right. I mean, I guess it has to do with family dynamics, but do you have any suggestions about how people engage with this? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I do think it can help to just have a book to talk about, right? Like that can be a little bit less threatening than like, I think these things, it can be like, this person thinks these things, let's uh, talk about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say for me, a lot of my journey has been just making a really intentional effort to read female writers, female faith writers. Um, so I mean, if somebody's not ready for nice churchy patriarchy, or if that might be off-putting to them, um, maybe some of the work of Rachel Held Evans, um, um, kind of, you know, what church is and could be, like Searching for Sunday or Faith Unraveled, um, or some of Sarah Bessie's work, Out of Sorts. And um, yeah, I, I think there are 
know, just a lot of people who are a lot of women faith writers who are rethinking things in some really powerful ways um, that aren't necessarily like directly like smash the patriarchy, um, but might kind of help us just open our minds a bit and think about things differently. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a, you know, put you in a, in a peg hole here, but some of those authors uh, and uh, perspective is um, I had to be done with being an evangelical in order to be free from all this. Mm-hmm. And when you read their writings, that's, you feel it. <laughs> and that's the, that's the deal. And there's some people who they just have too much invested or they just love it too much. They don't mm-hmm. want to move on. They, you know, uh, they can yeah. be talked into why living in a condo is a better idea, but they just love their house and their neighbors and they're not moving, you know? <laughs> and so mm-hmm. metaphorically, they're not moving. Um, sometimes the books that deal with these issues are written by people who are out or on their way out, or that's pretty much what people want. And look, most of my friends are out. So I, they're still my friends. So I have no judgment about if you're in or out, just know Mm -hmm. it lands really differently for people who don't want to be out. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So here's the not putting you in a peg. When people read this book, are they going to hear, Liz saying, and I'm finding a way to stay in, or do they hear uh, no opinion about that or on the way out or what, how, how will people, how, how do people read you? Do you think in your relationship to that? Yeah. um, I mean, I think that for me, I felt like I had to leave church contexts that weren't serving me well, Um, but I still identify with Christianity and I go to a church currently that's a more progressive community and that just resonates more with where I'm at and what I believe. Um, And that's been a really healing and powerful thing and a really good thing. So I think that people will probably hear that, right? That that has been my experience and I'm very happy with it. (laughs) Um, Uh But at the same time, I think, I hope that people also hear a lot of kind of openness and respect to the different ways that women might feel called or the different choices that women might make. So I hope that there's kind of this like twin invitation to like, if you really feel like you want to stay, like think about ways to maybe speak up about things and maybe push for change um, or even just ways in your own personal spiritual life to embrace a different side of God and um, embrace some different ways of thinking about things that might feel liberating for you, even if you stay in this community that doesn't quite buy into that. Um, So I hope there's kind of that alongside, like if you need to leave, leave, right? Like if a faith community isn't good for you, um, you know, it's okay to leave. You don't owe anyone you're staying, right? You're not disappointing God if you leave. Um, So kind of working through some of those things too. Yeah. And and I've been a pastor for a long time and I I know the struggle that people have because they, people tend to stay in churches because they like the people that are there. And sometimes they like the message or the music or whatever. But you, at some point when you're waking up on a Sunday morning or deciding we're going to go on a Sunday afternoon, you're not just thinking about maybe what, you know, Pastor Smith is going to tell you. You're, you're thinking about the people you're going to be with. And totally. when someone starts to think, maybe I can't be here anymore, the, the relational loss is really high. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of us in Minneapolis, I'm griping all the time because I, I don't pastor in a particular church anymore. So I'm looking at different churches to be involved in. And I, I complain about, eh, I, I can't really find one that's right in my per- So I, I've kind of picked one, but then maybe I go to another one. And 
most of the people in the country <laughs> that struggle with this, they're like, yeah. oh, there's three churches within driving distance. You know, there's a Lutheran, <laughs> there's a right. Presbyterian and a Catholic one, and, and then this evangelical yeah. one. I don't know what to, what to do. Like people really... Um, they don't feel trapped only because they think God's going to be against them. They feel trapped because they're like, I don't know, I want to do something on Wednesday. And these are my friends and I don't know, right. I don't know where else to go. And I've watched a lot of people have to leave churches and then they're so lonely. You know, I talk to them, we get emails about it. Like, Hey, in the book, common good world, do you all have a network of churches anywhere? Because I had to leave four years ago and I am so lonely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want some, want some people. Um, Sometimes the patriarchy preserves a whole lot of things that people that people like. So, do, do, you, do you have any in our final minutes here? Do you have any do you have any thoughts about that piece of it, the relational difficulty that people have when they're coming to grips with some of these things and how yeah. they na- navigate it and, and what's tolerable? You know, I, I think mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I do think that leaving is really hard. I don't want to underestimate that at all or downplay that. Um, I still think sometimes it's necessary, um, but <laughs> I'm seeing the comment that says for a loner like me, it yeah. was not a problem. Irma's like, hey, glad to, <laughs> glad to do Good something on Wednesday with that group. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, but we do all, like we we need community and connection, even the loners among us, I would dare to say. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a matter of um, kind of sorting out for ourselves, what does that look like in a meaningful way? What does that look like after leaving a community how do we build that um because sometimes we're used to churches kind of doing that for us and then we feel very adrift when that stops happening so i don't take that lightly at all and i recognize that i speak from a really privileged place here as someone who lives in the seattle area where there are multiple church options that i feel reasonably like aligned with in terms of values and beliefs Um, So I I do think that that is a privilege. Um, So I hesitate a little bit to speak to experiences that are not that. Um, I know there are online communities, um, but I do feel that that's not the same as knowing people in person. Um, So I do think it's hard. Um, I think that for me, when I thought about leaving the church that I went to for a long time, I felt a lot of that tied to community And at the same time, I feel like I found that when I did leave, um, that I was able to stay friends with the people, many of the people that I was friends Mm -hmm. with. Um, So I think, yeah, I think sometimes maybe we overestimate how much people will just abandon us if we leave. Um, I think that some people, not everyone, but some people are really open to staying friends with people who have different views from them. And that's a really good thing as long as we can both be fully who we are and not feel like we have to hide the beliefs that we've come to to be accepted by someone. I think you can be friends across difference and maintain some of those relationships if you feel like that respect from people. Yeah. So wise. Uh, well, friends, this is Liz Coolidge Jenkins. The, the book is Nice Churchy Patriarchy, Reclaiming Women's Humanity from Evangelicalism. And um, a, a number one Amazon bestseller in the subcategory of women's spirituality in some, some window of time. So tells you it's something you might want to <laughs> pick up yourself or share with someone. Liz, if, if people uh, finish the book and then want more or see themselves not really as book readers, but idea people, where else can they find your contributions to the world and and the stuff you're saying? 
Yeah, um, I, I blog pretty regularly at LizCoolidgeJenkins.com and also have kind of a list of, of different articles that have been out different places. Um, and then I'm also pretty active on Instagram at LizCoolJ. So would love okay. to connect there. At LizCoolJ. Great name for Instagram. <laughs> thank you. Come thank on. you. <laughs> Come on. At LizCoolJ. All right. That's, uh, that's the highlight of the day. Uh, Liz, thank you. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, we just do a quick hello to all the people uh, in the chat. Irma, uh, Jim, thank you. Irma, I think you might be new around here. And if not, nice to see you again. But if you're new, welcome. Uh, the Squirrely Prepper, Old Man Jim, Just Jim Eaton, Deborah, uh, Holly, all, all y'all that are in here, um, the Abbots. Uh, so I just want to say hi to everybody. Alex, thanks for sticking around with us and being part of the Common Good, common good Life and Flow. And uh, if you're not on our email list yet, Get on there. In fact, we're going to be announcing that we're heading down to the, we're going to be offering some opportunities for you to head down to the border, friends, both in Arizona and Texas in March in Arizona and then April in Texas. So if you're wondering about what's happening at the border and you want to go and have a firsthand experience, we're designing uh, opportunities for you to do that. So uh, keep up with us and we will be talking about it here, but also in our, uh, all of our other channels that are more than just our podcast and live stream. So uh, keep up with us and doing uh, events, uh, voter events and faith and democracy events around the country. So. Keep up with us. And Liz, uh, thank you. And find Liz where, where you can. And if nowhere else, if you're not yet on Instagram, you now have um, at Liz Cool J on uh, <laughs> or Liz Coolidge Jenkins uh, on Instagram. Should be your first follow. Uh, <laughs> Love that. Know. Thank you. Yeah, yeah right on. All right, y'all. So uh, uh, I think we're going to be back with astrophysicist Paul Wallace tomorrow. So, um, you know, check all this stuff out. But we've got some movable the issues that we have to work around. So, uh, okay. So maybe see you tomorrow, maybe see you tomorrow afternoon, maybe see you Friday. All right. Bye all.